here at the church. Thrilled to be here for the second week of our series. But I have a question uh, for you. Have you heard the statement that when it comes to progress, there are no shortcuts? Have you heard that statement before? It sounds a little bit like a Nike commercial, right? I mean, we, we, we get sort of motivated by seeing these shoe commercials, these sports commercials. There's no progress. In progress, there are no shortcuts, nothing that you can just take the easy step in. And I got to tell you, when I hear that statement, I don't like it, but I have to agree with it. I have to agree with it. I'd probably be a little bit uh, of the path of least resistance, and it's not because of uh, wanting to put the work in or put the time in, but I just like things to come a little easier than sometimes they do. That's just sort of my story. I, I, I've, I've been on the whole weight loss thing, and I've done roller coasters with that. I, I, I can lose some weight in different seasons, and I gain it back. And, and progress, to me, would be like eating brownies and losing weight, right? <laughs> like that would be the cool, fun amount of progress that we can have. Um, uh, I know some of you have gotten your college degree. You've gotten your master's degree. Let's be, let's be fair. That just doesn't come with just shortcuts, you get behind that effort. You put some work in. You do a lot of the things that build you up to that. And whether you were looking for a diploma or not, we can all probably relate to the idea that knowledge isn't just taking a shortcut or taking a path of least resistance. We have to stay disciplined and have consistent study to learn something about something, right? Uh, the freight, as I shared this a couple weeks ago when I had an opportunity to teach, we're getting ready to have our first pet. Our first dog is coming into the Freda household. And I would love if this could be a shortcut aspect, right, to training that little thing. Because it's going to come to our house, and I would love it just to walk into our bathroom, do its business in there, sit on the toilet, do whatever it has to do, and then, like, feed itself and <laughs> all the things. But guess what? For progress in training an animal, there's going to be no shortcuts, right? We're going to have to have consistency and reinforcement and practice. It's all about those small things. Do you notice that in life? It's all about the small things. Blink-182 was completely correct. <laughs> all the small things. They just matter. If you want to improve any area of your life at some level, we're going to have to pay attention to the small stuff. The small things, I think, as well, for most of our stories, reveal to us that when we take advantage of looking at them and seeing the wins in them, they actually point to larger things in our life. They point to things that God is doing in the midst of the bigger picture. And so we're in week two of this teaching series, uh, Ruth, Little Story, Big God. And what we're trying to communicate throughout each week is that these small things, these small things that Ruth made in her decisions, the, the choices she made, the convictions she had, they weren't really small things at all. They may play out as a small thing in, in us just looking at the story 3,000 years later, but that's sort of the point, isn't it? We're talking about her story 3,000 years later. Her life was one that changed when God became part of it. God became part of Ruth's life, and it turned it into a greater story, greater towards the eternal, greater towards the eternal significant purposes that are in it. So this morning, we're going to be in Ruth chapter 2. We started in Ruth 1 last week, but coming out of chapter 1, if you remember now, Naomi and Ruth have returned to Bethlehem, and they're husbandless now, all right? They're getting ready to head into uh, a penniless existence as well. 
They have abject poverty facing them, starvation that's facing them. So the situation is grim from a human perspective. It would look like this, this is not going to end well, but God... God has a different perspective here. Verse 1 that will be in chapter 2. Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. Now as we talk about stories, as we set the tone, Ruth's is a little Cinderella, all right? This is a little Cinderella story because it's about a girl who at the beginning had no reason to think that she had prospects. She's a foreigner, in a foreign land. She's put her faith and trust in God. And so the Cinderella story plays out. I've been devastated by the loss of my husband. This has happened to her young, in her, in, in her younger years. So she's a widow unexpectedly. And now she's facing again this impoverished life. And she finds herself taken in a different direction than maybe she was expecting her story to go. This morning, I have a question for you. Is your story taking the trajectory you were hoping it would? Is your story matching up to what your expectations were? Or is it a little bit different? Is it a little bit different than what you fully expected? And is God still potentially in the midst of that? It's interesting here as we look at this because verse 1 of, of this Cinderella story might be introducing us to the knight in shining armor. We hear about this Boaz guy. And Boaz's name means in him there is strength. So there's some promise in it here. In him is some strength. And maybe this could be someone that uh, could be worthwhile here. Verse 2. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. And Naomi replied, All right, my daughter, go ahead. And so Ruth is given permission to go work so that they can eat. Naomi's like, go make it happen. And Ruth is like, I need to make this happen. And what is she referring to here when she says, can I go into the fields? Can I go pick some stalks of grain? Let me give you a little bit of the Israelite covenant here that was taking place. This is sort of the equivalent of what our current welfare system or food stamps, food bank might, food bank might look like. And if you want to do some research, go dig into Leviticus 19. We're just not going to be in Leviticus this morning, right? But the process of harvesting a crop... For any kind of landowner and any kind of landowner's workers was plucking grapes, harvesting the crop, taking the sickle to the wheat, binding it into sheaves, and to gather it and, and for grain into their barns. But they were instructed to do two things when they did that. They could only make one pass in the field. And so in making that one pass, you can say that it was probably about 30% of the, the stock that was just sort of left to the wayside. 30% could be left beside, and so as that first pass went through, then individuals would come up and take the rest of that, the, the poor, the people that needed that. So you could go into the middle of these fields, you could also go into the sides, but the corners were also protected. And the reality behind this is in Old Testament times, if you didn't have a job or money, you weren't just sitting back waiting on your dream job. You went to work to go to these fields to get what the extra was behind these landowners, behind these workers, okay? You couldn't just sit back and wait for American Idol to come calling because you have that golden voice and you're going to make a career out of it. You went to work. You got a job. You went and did something. And so here we find Ruth 
wakes up. She's a foreigner. She's living in a different country. The temptation, I guarantee you, the temptation for her would have been to think that she's damaged goods and that basically her prospects are out. But notice this small step. It's not a grandiose step. It's just one small step that she goes. She goes into the harvest field. She goes to work. She was willing to take a risk to go somewhere and and be around unfamiliar and scary circumstances and situations. She trusted her God that he provided an opportunity for her to step into something that was part of the Israel equivalent to welfare, to, 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 to the food stamp system. And so she goes. It may seem like a small step, but it's really a big one, isn't it? Write this down if you're taking notes or even just mental notes this morning. Sometimes the best decision you will make is to simply go, is to go, even when it would be easier to stay. How many situations have you had in your life? You can think back. That one small step just to go, just to be obedient. See, some of you right now are sitting here this morning. Some of you are watching online, and you're sensing that God is up to something. He's got a new thing going on. There's some, you smell some change on the horizon. And even if you don't, if you're not sitting in that space, chances are that space is going to come up in a week, a month, where you're going to have your heart sort of turned and, and prepared, or at least hopefully willing to be prepared for change. Because change in our life is inevitable. There's always a new opportunity. There's always a new venture, right? And so maybe God is calling you to take a step. Maybe God is telling you to go, to follow that hunch where he's leading you, to take this leap of faith, to embrace the adventure. And sometimes we're so concerned about making the big jump and doing all of the math and working all of our equations behind what the big step will be, we just don't take the small one. We don't take that one step into obedience. Again, the weight journey. I'll go back to, I'm looking for any kind of medical or drug or whatever solution. Brandon, just go on a walk. Just take a walk around the neighborhood. Drink a little more water than a little soda, than a little more soda, right? One simple step. That's what Ruth did. The work wasn't below her. It wasn't beneath her. It was scary and new, but God provided this opportunity. And Ruth said, that's what I'm going to do. Verse three. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. As it happened. Did you catch that in verse 3? Another mental note just to make. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, as it happened, right, because God just works in coincidences, doesn't he? He doesn't work in coincidences. She goes out, and she goes working. She takes the step, the small step to go. She finds a field, and it just so happens it's this dude. It's this dude that, hmm, there might be some prospects here, right? Now, remember that these fields, this is, this is the possible knight in shining armor, but it's not like these fields were labeled. It's not like she saw a sign that read, this is the field of the most eligible bachelor in town, right? It didn't read that. She stepped out in faith. She took that step of obedience, and so she's part of this land, and she begins working. We can engage in the seemingly small things, but God is generally doing something bigger that we can't see. Write this down. God's working through the happenings all the time. The simple, simplistic, mundane, 
inconsequential happenings in your life, he's working. My son Camden uh, was in a Pokemon phase for a season of his life, and I would just pray that uh, uh, he never gets back to that season in his life, right? <laughs> I'm just being honest. It was a weird season for me with Pokemon because I don't understand Pokemon. I don't understand how you can ruin a card game. Like, it's a card game, and they've basically ruined it. There's Google search this, I promise. It'll tell you the 10 steps to play Pokemon, and they are so confusing. Like, how to have three active cards and six bench cards and pull out an abacus and then divide by pi or whatever, right? Seriously, the only way you win at Pokemon, I, I found this, the only way you could win at Pokemon is you have to solve world hunger, okay? <laughs> That's how confusing this game is. But there's, there's things in there, how much damage, how much whatever. And so he went to school. He had a great Pokemon card, supposedly. This one caused great damage. And so he went to trade with a friend of his. Now, his friend understood Pokemon more than he did. And so he came home with a lesser than card. And he wasn't too bummed about it, but you could tell he was just getting educated. This is not the best card. You traded something really good. And he's looking at me like, Dad. And so I was trying to be the loving parent that I could be. And I said, sorry, dude. <laughs> Bummer for you. <laughs> Bummer for you, man. I don't know. You know, His sister, she wanted to go back to the elementary and beat up that kid <laughs> that took the card. She's the loving <laughs> sibling, right? She was ready and she's gearing up. But Camden had this sense. There was just this sense in him. I'm telling you, it was just his spirit around it. He's like, I saw my friend bubble up with the card. I saw my friend get excited about like he had this card and he got to add it to his collection. Why would I want to take that joy away? Why would I want to take his, you know, just his happiness away? That's not that big a deal. Weeks later, weeks later, we're borrowing my grandpa's truck because our car's broken down. And my grandpa's the guy that collects weird things. He goes to the flea market. He goes to the uh, uh, yard sale, collects any number of things, right? And in the middle console, he had some cards that he wanted to pass off to us that he had found at wherever he found them. There were some old baseball cards, a few more modern football cards, but still not really in mint condition. And there were a bunch of brand new Pokemon cards, a bunch of brand new ones. My son digs in the pile. He finds the card that he gave to his friend. Now, it's not in mint condition. It should have been in mint condition. But he finds the card, and he even found some cards that even had more power up, level up, whatever. The point was, is God was winking at him. God was working through the happenings. Those small happenings of just this little young man's spirit that was looking to bless someone else, didn't really care about it. It's not a big deal. If he's happy, isn't that the point? And God gave him a wink. God gave him this happening because God's working through our happenings all the time. And so it gets even better for Ruth. While she was still there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. And the Boaz said to his foreman, who is that young woman over there? Now the story is getting interesting. Hello. And you can imagine almost the cartoon character, right? Where it's that little heartbeat that goes out like just the pumping. He's, he's working it now. He's going. Who is that over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, she's the young woman from Moab who came back for, with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She's been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. And so the Ruth report comes out. And it's not just the look. Obviously, there's the initial attraction going on. 
but he's also doing a little investigation too. And the foreman gives the uh, feedback that, yeah, she asked permission. She's been polite, really humble to get after it and work. And so Boaz has to be very character-driven around who this woman is and being able to see what's inside of her, that she's got some stuff as well. But also, we're getting a little bit revealed to Boaz's character because this is how you treat the poor. He's asking questions. He's being intentional. And so they're about to have their first conversation. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they're harvesting and then follow them. Because I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, you help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. Uh, foreigners were the ones getting water for the Hebrews. Women were the ones getting water for the workers. This landowner's like, no, help yourself. Make yourself at home. Work in my field. Please stay in my field. And what's going on here? What's going on is the story did start off with attraction. And it built into a little bit of investigation. And oh yeah, that's the woman from Moab we've heard about. She's been working hard. And then it levels, uh, it gets into this place. It's sort of this level ground of now concern or protection for this young woman. Boaz is looking to protect her. And he's speaking words of protection over her. Do not go to the other fields. If you're going to go, there's going to be some harvesters and, 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 and people that you don't want to come into contact with. What was this culture right around then? You know that harvesters, they would actually rape young women. And the reason why they did, of course, it was a cruel thing. Of course, it was not a godly thing. These women, these young people, young women would come to find work. They would come to look to provide for their families just to eat. And so they're out in the field with these men with no one around. Oh, yeah, come on, I'll get you some money. We'll give you a hard days of work here, right? And so these young women would fall upon sexual abuse, possible sexual harassment among these very rough men. And so Ruth's running the risk, and she knew parts of the risk she was taking, but she really had no choice. But here's the gentleman in the room. And the gentleman in the room, Boaz, says, I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. Have I not done that? Have you noticed your day today? There's been this anti-sexual harassment policy here in my field. Have you noticed they've been so good to you all day? I don't want you anywhere else. I want to protect you. I want to look after you. Ruth wouldn't have any idea of what she was stepping into, and yet God was working in this mind-blowing way of protection over his daughter. He was working as being very present in what might have seemed like a small thing or even an obsolete thing to her. And God's doing the same thing for your life. He's protecting you. He might be protecting you through a person like Boaz. Maybe he has a Boaz in your life right now. An individual that's supposed to be in your life that's saying maybe the hard thing, but it's the God thing. And that person's to protect you. He's placed that protection in your life. Maybe he's put you in the midst of a plan. Boaz had a plan for Ruth. He had a plan that he wanted her to adhere to. This is what will keep you safe. 
And God's put a plan in front of you to do the very same thing. And it seems like the, the step that you would take over here is the step of wealth and fame and influence and all the things that would benefit your world. But maybe he's putting some roadblocks or putting some things in your way and you feel like, well, God, where are you? God, I thought you wanted to give good gifts to your kid. God, you're not present. And maybe he's putting that plan in your place, in, in, your, in your life to protect you because he loves you. He could be protecting you with perspective. See, Ruth, she's overcome with kindness. She's overcome with this generosity from Boaz. Do you think her perspective changed a little bit on how landowners work, on how harvesters work? She would have known all the stories. She's stepping into a culture she doesn't understand, but she's hearing the stories behind that. She knows that she's at risk stepping into this community, and I bet her perspective is being changed a little bit. Boaz's perspective of a foreigner is being changed a little bit. This, this woman's gotten to work. She's fallen in love with our God. What's going on here? There's devotion here that she has to Naomi to work her butt off to go provide food for the family. And so perspectives can be protected as well. She does this out of her love for Naomi, but Ruth does this out of her love for the Lord, doesn't she? She fell at his feet. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I'm only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied. But I also know about everything you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and I've heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers, right? This is a different trajectory for her life. May the Lord May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. This is a blessing. This is a prayer over her. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully, give you all of the blessings for what you have done to take this step. Step. I hope to continue to please you, sir, she replied. You have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not one of your workers. Boaz has been great to Ruth, and God has been good to you. God is doing something in your midst. I know some of us have come in struggling this morning. I know some of us are in that space where we just feel, oh, and God's goodness is showering over you, even in the things that you cannot see right in front of your face. God is moving in your life, and he is doing something. He is good, and I believe not a small step, but probably a really large step for us all to take is when we start walking in faith and trusting that God has something good for us instead of that he's looking to take something away from us. We have done a different kind of journey in our walk with God. We have now taken new steps and taken new ground to believe in the goodness of our heavenly Father and what he wants for our lives, and he wants good for your life. At mealtime, Boaz called to her, come over here, help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. He's starting to flirt a little bit. So she sat with his harvesters. Well, now the harvesters are getting in the way a little bit. But Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat, and she ate all she wanted and still had some left over. And so Ruth went back to work again. And Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather grain right among the sheaths without stopping her. Pull out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. I love this. Oops. Oops. Maybe it's not 30%. There's your 50. There's your 60, right? Have at it, Ruth. And pull out some of the heads of barley from the bundles. Drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up. 
don't give her a hard time. And just when you peel back on culture and you understand something here, what you actually see here is farmer flirting going on, all right? This is farmer flirting happening, right? Because it's the farmer, farmer equivalent of flirting because it's not like, hey, here's a dozen roses and here's some chocolate. It's like, hey, you want some wheat? How you doing? How you doing? I got some wheat over here, Yeah. Right? Seriously, she's just wandered into this place. And, and I, I, I would love to see the seed a little bit because the harvesters, they're, yeah, oh, here, eat some food. Oh, thank you. I'm so full. And this is sort of going on back and forth. I don't know what to do with all this. The harvesters are like, would you guys get a room already? What's going on here, right? There's some flirting going on. It's fun. There's an attraction. There's some intentional here. And then we find out, Boaz, <laughs> have you lost your mind? You're going above and beyond what you're doing here. And Ruth just answers the call again to her character. Verse 17, so Ruth gathered barley there all day. And when she beat out that grain that evening, it filled an entire basket. She carried it back into town and she showed it to her mother-in-law. Ruth also gave her the roasted grain that was left over from her meal. Where did you gather all this grain today, Naomi asked. Where did you work May the Lord bless the one who helped you. And you can just sort of see that enthusiasm building up, an exclamation point. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose field she had worked. She said, the man I worked with today is named Boaz. And this is going to click something for Naomi. Hold on to that thought, pin it for a second. But keep in mind, Ruth gathers what would have amounted to 22 liters of barley that day. Now, one liter of barley was what a full days of work was. So Ruth is literally bringing home 30 to 40 pounds of food. This is a good catch. It's not only two weeks worth of pay, it's probably one and a half to two weeks worth of food for her and Naomi. And Naomi, who wasn't at the dinner, is now getting to be able to partake of part of the dinner. Ruth is answering her question, yes, in that naive way, not really a care in the world. I, th I think his name is Boaz, right? But Naomi reminds Ruth in just a few seconds about who that person is. I want us to stop for a second, though. Everything's really changed with Naomi. Do you notice that? There, there's a moment in time here, like, if you remember chapter one, some of you were here last week. I want to encourage you to go back online if you didn't hear last week, week one. But Naomi's name was what? Her name was Bitter. And in chapter one, she's bitter. She's wondering where God is. She she's, has this bitter persona to her, but yet this buildup of who, who, who is helping you with this? Who, how's the work? It's almost like, again, she's now this one woman pep rally. It's sort of this little outburst, this mini OMG kind of moment, and she's excited. And I wonder if, I wonder if Naomi was in a place where she was no longer letting life dictate her personality, dictate her, her um, feelings, dictate anything, but she was allowing God to dictate that. She was starting to see where God was in the inner workings of all parts of her story, and she was able to start connecting something in Ruth's life that she was maybe upon first impression seeing the small, but starting to see the larger picture taking place in what God was doing. I want to encourage you to take a small step this morning. Stop waiting for God. Stop waiting for God. And some of you are either... <laughs> Frustrated or offended even when I say that because you're like, hold on, wait, this is starting to feel a little funky. Did you get an F at preacher school, Brandon? Because I shouldn't be 
not waiting for God. I should be, no, I said stop waiting for God. I didn't say stop waiting on God. We will always be waiting on God. Isaiah 40, 31, those who wait on God shall renew their strength. The day you stop waiting on God, the day you give up on God and give up on him using you and your story, we will be as effective as Samson at a supercuts. Like it's not just, it's just not going to pan out well for us, okay? We always are waiting on God. I'm telling you to stop waiting for God. Well, when? What are you talking about? If he has already told you what to do, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Because when I read Ruth, Ruth 2, I don't see that Ruth is waiting home all day and she's not praying to the Lord. Lord, we're hungry. Lord, we need food. Lord, we don't have anything. No, she took the opportunity that was right in front of her. She took the small step and she stopped waiting for God. She saves what she was given to Naomi. She, she went back to work after lunch. She works all day until evening. She returns home beaten, tired, I'm sure, right? 30 and 40 pounds of food carrying it home. Just, just beat from the day. But here's what also Ruth went home with. Not just a full stomach, but a full perspective, a full life, full hope. I wonder if God's up to something like this. This small story seems to be building into something. She could have stayed home all day pray, praying for, for Wonder Bread to rain down and eligible bachelors to rain down. But she just took a step of obedience, a small step. She went out and made that practical thing happen. See, I'm not saying not to pray. Let's keep praying. But I want you to consider in your life how you may be an answer to that prayer. The prayer you're praying. Because Boaz gave that prayer, didn't he? He gave that prayer. He gave that blessing over Ruth. And guess what? Boaz is part of the story. He's part of the answer to that prayer. And God may be doing that same exact thing in your life. Guess what? The miraculous that you're looking for, maybe you're part of the miracle. Maybe you're to be part of the miracle that God wants to use and form and instruct in how to take those steps to provide your own miracle. God wants to use you. And the small step we can take can turn into this large, defining moment in our life. Stop waiting for God. Some of you really need to hear that this morning because you feel stuck. And you feel hopeless. You're not getting traction. You feel like you're on the hamster wheel. Just spinning the wheels. I'm not moving forward. I'm not gaining any ground. Is there, is there something God has told you to do? and you're just not doing it? Is there something God has instructed you to be bold with, to step into faith in, and you're just not doing it? Stop waiting for God. Stop waiting for God and do what he told you to do. If we step into that natural, God's guaranteed to do the supernatural. Verse 20. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. She knows it's Boaz now. He is showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. There it is. This culmination. To, ooh, we've got, we've got the knight in shining armor here. 
This is some cool stuff because Naomi's reminding Ruth this close relative peace. And we'll talk a little bit more about this uh, when we pick up chapter 3. We'll, we'll get into the whole family redeemer bit. But what we're starting to know is what we're starting to pick up on is the unique position that Boaz has been poised to play in this story, the superhero. Because guess what? Yes, he was wealthy and he was influential. But when you break down what that really means, the word wealthy doesn't just speak of money. That's not what we see here. The Hebrew doesn't speak of only possessions. It actually speaks to honor. It was a name, many Bible translations put it, of valor, of the soldier that's coming home and doing the right things for the right reasons. It speaks to his character. It speaks to his nobility. He was the, he, Boaz had the right stuff relationally. He had the right stuff financially. He had the right stuff morally to solve problems, to be an example to look to, to be that landowner that everybody else would say, wow, that guy's got his stuff together. The one that we could bring our young sons around and say, yeah, look at Boaz. Go be like Boaz. Boaz had what it took. Be like him. In verse 21 and 23, we see Naomi, and she's confirming that Boaz Boaz has really already instructed Ruth. Yeah, go stay on his land. Yeah, go be with those women. They're going to encourage you. They're going to point you back to God. And then Ruth She's, she's wanting to stay in this new place, and all of a sudden, this, new, this story, this small story, is getting a little bigger and a little bigger. Everything to, seems to be on the upswing here. Redeemer. What does it mean to be a redeemer? Well, to redeem someone. What does redeem mean? To atone. To atone, to, to make amends for. Jesus is our master redeemer. And Jesus is the one that's stepping into each of our stories, not only to provide protection in that way, but to provide all kinds of things that says, you know what? The small steps, the small things that are in your life, the things that you do that seem like just the inconsequential everyday things are things that I am working in, are things that I am doing in your life. Ruth, who walked through the field and had much to gather and it would eventually take these to-go boxes home for, for Naomi. I think the to-go box for us to think and consider for our next week is simply this. Keep doing the small things, letting him take care of the large things, trusting him to care for the large things in your life. Just go be obedient to the small. Take the step to the small. There's a word 